Well, good morning. Good to see you this day. Wonderful you could be here today. Thanks so much for coming and, and finding a parking spot outside. Yes, the UConn exercise is going on. Glad you made it. Glad you're here, though. And thank you for um, just enjoying this beautiful day with us today. It's a great time to be in Germany. So thank you so much for joining us for worship today. Um, let's begin. Uh, let's begin by reading words from Jesus today. Let's read his word. This is from John chapter 15. Um, it's our call to worship. Let me read it for you today. Just enjoy these words. From the Lord Jesus himself, he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone, someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you so that you love one another. So true, so good. Hey, let's stand. Let's stand and let's sing our first hymn together. Uh, Very appropriate for this beautiful day in German today. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Hymn number 90. had a great week. I hope it was a wonderful day for you yesterday. Beautiful day outside. We got out and enjoyed it. Um, We had a good week here too in our in our Christian community. I want to show you some pictures of some things that went on this past week. I know a lot of you were there but it's good to just see things again. You know we had the prayer breakfast last uh, last few days ago on the 4th of May and it was great to see so many people there representing all different chapels communities too and Chaplain Porter thank you did a wonderful job of just leading us in prayer and modeling to us just what godliness should be in our community. So thank you for all you came. It was just well attended. You know, whatever military community you go to, it has a different personality. And I think what you know, you agree with me, it's Stuttgart is so spread out. We have to get together for times um, like this. So, so thank you for supporting it, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Um, this, as I mentioned last week, is a picture of Protestant women of the chapel Took it from the back because I wasn't sure if people were kind of like funny about seeing their faces on, you know, <laughs> without permission. But this is the group that meets at Panzer on Tuesday mornings. They stop for the summer, but they had an induction ceremony and they had their new leaders come forward. And it was a great time of testimonies, hearing some powerful stories of women speaking about how they've grown and how God has used them and to use their voice. So um, thank you for all who have been part of that this past year, and we look forward to a great year next year as well. It's kind of an old picture. You, you see Grady right there, and the kids come out to, um, to the junior high group that meets here on Thursdays. But, you know, I just want to remind you, there's a lot of good things going. A lot of kids are getting together, and they do great things. And it's, it's a need to be able to have not just the children, but parents. And afterwards, um, this is just this past week, we had a big fundraising banquet for um, Club Beyond, military community youth ministries. The parents got together. They heard a vision about how we can support our, our kids 
um, not just in junior high, but also the high school ones. Um, we have plans to take them on a trip to Scotland this coming summer for a week of growth and, and just fun, um, all in the name of, of God's glory. So those are just some thoughts I wanted you to, to see for this past, this past, uh, past week. Um, in a couple weeks, on the 19th of May, which is not next week, because that's Mother's Day, but the week after is um, a week that, and a Sunday that we are going to dedicate to the graduating seniors. I think we have five of them in our group. And so when you come on the 21st, um, we want to make that special for you and your family. You're getting ready to be sent out to, to college or a trade school or a gap year, I'm not sure. But it's a season of change. And so I just want to put out this thought. For those of you who are seniors in, in high school, we're going to meet after the service. We can have a plan. We want you to be involved in it. Parents, too. I have a little bit of a role for you, too. So those of you who are families who are, have graduates, come see Jody and me after the service, um, and we will talk to you about that. Um, the other thing I just want to mention, too, is, you know, summer's coming. People are getting ready to move. And uh, we have a lot of people in the service who are doing important things, like picking up the food at the commissary, those kind of things, but they're moving. And so if you find yourself that you're at a place in your life where you can serve and you can help us in some very practical ways, come talk to me and come talk to Kelly, come talk to Ryan. We'd love to be able to just, you know, use you use your for a season. Um, it really does help this chapel um, come together. So, yeah, thank you for listening. I, I hope, you, uh, hope that all makes sense. So with that thought, let's, um, let's return to worship. Let's get our minds back on the Lord, and let's sing our next hymn together. Um, the King of Love, My Shepherd Is. Why don't you please stand with us? <clears throat> Thank you. Please be seated. Good morning. Today's Old Testament scripture comes from Song of Solomon 2, 8 through 17, which can be found on page 480 in your pew Bibles. Song of Solomon 2, 8 through 17. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, and the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. O my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He grazes among the lilies until the day breathes and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountains. Today's New Testament scripture comes from 1 John 3, 16 through 24, which can be found on page 863 in your pew Bibles. 1 John 3, 16 through 24. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 
But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. I hope you're a little curious um, to have a portion of the Song of Solomon read um, in a part of our reading today. But I think it goes very nicely with a theme that is part of our, our sermon. And of course it comes back to God's command to love one another. Because all through scripture, it's a theme of a, a passionate, loving God who is fiercely in love with his people. And you see that in this, in this Hebrew poetry of Song of Solomon. God is in love with his people. We see that through this loving relationship between a, in a marriage and a, the pursuit of love. But we also see it in the scripture read, reading that Josh read also in the New Testament, 1 John chapter, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. Beloved, let us not love just in word or in deed, but in action. That's how we ought to be. That's our reputation is, as believers. And so we'll hear more about today in the book of Ephesians. But a, a reminder from all of God's word from the beginning to the end. It is, um, in, a, in some way you could say this book is a, a conflict resolve of God loving his people that don't know how to be loved. So sit with that thought today. Remind of the, uh, the fierce love of God who pursues you in ways that we don't quite understand yet. But with that thought, let's, uh, let's put that into action. Let's, uh, let's take our morning offering. Um, let's, let's love in the generosity we have in the way that we support the ministries here in Stuttgart. Usher, so will you please come forward uh, for a morning offering? We were at uh, Glenn and Rachel Schudel's house um, last Sunday, and it's when we have the youth group that meets, the, uh, the high school kids get together, and as we were talking among the youth group, we were just talking about how difficult it is to be different in the world, and I think this, um, this scripture text right here, which we use as our confession today, um, comes from Apostle Paul. He expresses his challenge of living in the world as well in Romans chapter 7. I'd like to use it as a guide that we have today as we have a confession we might say together as we read the scripture verse in Romans chapter 7 um, before we celebrate the Lord's Supper and have communion together. So um, if you're able, if you'd like to, um, Join me as we, as, we, as we frame our time of, of confession today into communion by, by saying these words together. Paul writes, he says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. 
For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Who will deliver me from this body of death? (laughs) Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Just take a moment um, to just to sit with these words that we read. um, To confess the sin that so easily entangles us. And, again, the reminder to turn to the one, to the living Lord Jesus, who is our assurance of our forgiveness. Um, as the ushers come forward, um, as we begin to receive, receive communion together, remember that this time together, communion is to, is, is, should be taken reverently. Uh, let's examine ourselves and also be thoughtful about our relationships among the body of Christ. If there is something that you're odds with with someone else, or there's disunity in some time, in some kind of way, let the example of Jesus' broken body and his, and his blood spilled for you impress you enough to go make amends with that person, whoever that might be. And after the ushers come forward um, and pass these elements together, we'll receive them together. So, ushers, thank you. You remember the words I trust, um, but on the night that Jesus was betrayed, it was the Passover meal. Um, Jesus took unleavened bread, gave it new meaning, he broke it. He said, take and eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Jesus also took a cup, a cup of wine, When he had given thanks, he gave it to them and saying, drink all of it, for this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus says, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Words to celebrate today. Let's commune with Jesus together. We are in a series about with uh, the teaching of the Apostle Paul. So Paul's words are an appropriate charge for this moment. Hear them well. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Own it well. Um, welcome to week number four in our teaching series, um, series in the book of Ephesians. And we're learning again our identity as a community. Again, identity as people of prayer. Um, welcome to any of you who might be new and maybe you just have come in for the last few weeks or maybe you've been gone for a while on a trip or TDY or whatever, whatever it was. Um, here's just a, a, a quick recap of where we've been the last few weeks, um, a few things to keep your learning fresh. This picture right here, I like this picture, and I hope you remember this picture because it reminds us of the archaeological archaeological history of this book that we're reading, and that our Bible is grounded in history and archaeology. This road right here, which is from the port to the city center of Ephesus here was probably, likely, very likely the same road the Apostle Paul walked when he went to Ephesus as well. 
But the real evidence, though, is not just archaeology. I want you to remember this letter. As you read this letter, this letter is evidence of a changed man. You remember the Apostle Paul was a very angry, arrogant man who found his identity in being right. But that all changed. It changed when he encountered the living Jesus Christ, the perfect patience of Jesus. Paul was confronted that, with the reality that his arrogance and his actions were really an affront to Jesus himself. And what did Paul do? He, he responded in repentance and faith by doing what God has asked all of us to do in all of our arrogance is to simply respond by faith. Turn to him in faith. Um, another thought I just want to refresh your mind is, is that we are all aware that we only have a few weeks left with those who are graduating. It's been on my mind the last few weeks, and I hope it is yours as well, too. Um, we're taking these last few weeks in May and in early June um, to send off our high school kids that are graduating into a new chapter of life, but also very relevant to, I think, all of you who are students are getting ready to move as well. To whom do you belong? It's a question you must answer sometime in your life. And the book of Ephesians is great because it firms up our identity in who we are, not just as individuals, but as a community. And there's one more essential skill that I hope you keep back in your mind, and it's this. It is the ability to see things from a different perspective. It's what wise people can do. In Ephesians, in Ephesians, in Ephesians that is what we're doing. We're seeing things from God's perspective. The book of Ephesians, and especially in this first chapter, is a window that we see how God has chosen us. He is a planner. He's a planner with purpose to create us in us a holy and a blameless people. Not necessarily a well-liked people, not a cool people, not a well-traveled and well-cultured people, but a holy and blameless people. That is his perspective. He's redeemed us. He's given us great value, more than we can ever imagine in this lifetime. The text says that we've been adopted into a family. We have given roles into a new family we haven't really seen yet or understood. And we've been forgiven. We've been lavished in incredible ways that I don't think we'll ever appreciate in this lifetime. You know, the Apostle Paul had a vision you can read about it in the second chapter of, uh, of Corinthians. At the end of it, he was caught up to the third heaven. And he saw things that were just unexplainable. He was given a thorn in the flesh to humble himself with his vision. But one of the things the apostle says that's always stuck in my mind is this, and I hope that you remember this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. What no eye has seen or ear has heard or the heart of man imagined is what... God has prepared for those who love him. Seeing things from God's perspective, it is a great step to take away with you. Uh, last week, if you're here, um, Paul brought us back to a human perspective. Moving from God's perspective, we looked at human perspective. And um, just a few slides to show you, remember what we did. We spoke about the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is one that seals us because we have our human responsibility, we have listened, and we believed in the gospel of our salvation. The Holy Spirit is the one who has stamped us with a kind of a, like a wax stamp on a letter would be saying, I wrote your life, I created you. 
Your life belongs to me. The seal is also like a brand. Proof that God cares for us. He is the protector. He is the one who brings us into a family. And our father is a fiercely loyal protector for us. And the Arabone from last week. The word for Arabone is the word guarantee. When you have believed. When you have believed in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been a guarantee, like a wedding band would be. A first century man or woman would, would receive the Arabone as proof, a guarantee that, that a deposit has been made. In the same way, the Holy Spirit it's a promise to us, a promise ring to us that God keeps his promises to us. So today we move into the second half of Ephesians chapter 1. Um, the first half was speaking about we are people of praise, to see things from God's perspective. But now in Paul's example, we're challenged to be a people of prayer. And let's read the text together, shall we? It's Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in, 15, in verse 15. It's page 827 in the, in the blue pew Bible in front of you if you'd like to read it there. But um, over the next two weeks, uh, we will look at this uh, very eloquent prayer of Paul's. But today we'll look at the first half, beginning in verse 15. Listen to Paul's words, he says. For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And we'll finish the prayer next week. But today, two words from our text, two words I hope that stand out to you, two words we really need to get a hold of today. And the first one is in verse 15 and 16. It's the word reputation, not written in the text. But in the first two sentences of this prayer, Paul causes us to think about a church's reputation. And then the second two verses of the text, 17 and 18, inspire us to pray for God's revelation. Reputation. It matters according to Paul. And then the word revelation. And as you see, our reputation and revelation do go together. So let's hear it in verse 15 again. Let's go back and read it. Verse 15. Paul's heard the reputation of the church, and this is what he wrote. He said, for this reason... I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and heard of your love towards all the saints. I do not cease giving thanks for you. I remember you in my prayers. It's true, don't you think? Every church has a reputation. And this little church, this humble little church in old Ephesus had a reputation. What was it? If you can underline it in your Bible, please do and please remember it. The first is this. It was their faith in the Lord Jesus. And the second, it was their love towards all the saints. I hope we'll get there someday when we come to church to see each other as saints. 
That is what the church of Ephesians in Ephesus was doing. But it is a good and sobering question to ask, a question we need to ask ourselves. What is our reputation at Patch Chapel? And what do you want it to be? We have visitors all the time, guests every week, family visitors, friends, temporary contractors, reservists here for a while, appeal, people, TAD, TDY. We have new people coming in in just a couple months, if not this coming month right now, looking for a church home, a church family, looking for conviction, looking for a purpose bigger than their daily life. But what I think they're really looking for, I think it's what the church in Ephesus had. And we can have it too if we want it bad enough. It's the words that I, you read in the text. It's the reputation that we should shoot for, and here it is. Faith in the Lord Jesus, a sincere faith. And a very practical love for all the saints. The way Christians love each other matters. Don't you agree? We're being watched everywhere for the way in which we love other people. I mean, often in this military community, we have chapels that brush up next to each other side by side, and we do as well here too. I think it's interesting. I've done it before in the past. I've been in several chapels, and watching how two different chapel services interact with each other. We often share the same storage space. We share the same fellowship hall. We share the same coffee pot. And how we all can interact with each other, I think, says a lot about someone's Christian, Christian character. Let's just make it a plan, a patch chapel plan, to always be very thoughtful, to be very kind to that Catholic service that meets right before us at 9 o'clock. To shock them with the kindness and just the, just the, the way we greet them as we, in, as we brush up next to each other and doing services together. But to all of our Christian students, I'm thinking about you. The way that you treat other saints, I think, is one of the most powerful things you do. And if you want to have a job in the body of Christ, this is it. Students, when you are in the school, when you share a classroom with other believers that you know are Christians too, when you pass each other in the hallway, maybe you're at the Panzer Food Court afterwards on the activity bus, Say hi to each other. Cross the social paths. Be a friend to people who are not in your immediate friend group. I think it sends a powerful message about your faith in the Lord Jesus. And those who watch you, you see, God is not a God of clicks. He doesn't play favorites. God loves all people just by watching you and your example. And think about the neighborhoods in which we live. I don't know about you, but I live over on Kelly Barracks, and sometimes I go out to the garbage dumpster. I see trash just spilled all over the place. I don't know how it happens. It just might be raccoons or something. I don't know, but I don't think it is. I think it's people not really taking care, being a good steward of our area in which we live. I take walks. I see people with their, don't clean up after their dogs, cluttered, messy stairwells wherever I go, and it just sends a message, I think, and I, I don't know, I think we can do better. For when a Christian cares for our neighborhood, when we pick up not just even our own trash, but even other people's trash, I think it sends a message, a powerful message to all who are watching us. 
that God cares about this world, so do I. I don't mean to belabor the point, but I think Paul is really right in this first sentence here. Our reputation matters because we reflect God's image. We reflect God's reputation. How we speak, how we dress, how we care for our body. If, if we dress provocatively or sloppy, we don't care for our body. What are other people thinking about us as Christians? Really about God. Remember, so much of what we communicate is nonverbal. So when we, as believers, are at peace, we represent a God who is at peace. I was talking to a Christian this past week at that fundraising banquet. He told me kind of a funny story. I think it's kind of a, it's a true story, how he got pulled over twice by the MPs. <laughs> But here's the point, the point I want you to remember. It's not so much getting pulled over by the MPs. It was his example to the MPs when he got pulled over. He was respectful. He was nice back to them. He didn't lie. Look, we're all going to get pulled over. We make mistakes. It's part of life. But when we get pulled over, we should be respectful because, yes, God is a God of forgiveness, of course, but he also is a God of authority and who honors authority. How we tip, do you think it matters? Yes, it matters. The generosity we show to waiters and waiters and waitresses and restaurants and, I mean, commissary baggers, we're being watched. You know, I've been looking at, um, thinking about um, the housing office on Panzer. Um, all that, one of, probably one of the most stressed out offices in the Stuttgart community, other than people over here in UConn right now. But who receives all the emotional complaints of people when they're tired of looking for a house after they just moved in? The housing office does. And they feel, they, they feel them, it wears on them. I've visited many times. What kind of reputation do you think Jesus would have If our chapel, for example, made a unified effort to appreciate them, to thank them, to help carry their load in some kind of, I don't know, appreciative way, I don't know. Stuttgart security guards, the ones we pass, our reputation matters. When we pull up to the gate, let's be different in a good way. I challenge you, learn the name of a security guard. There's a really super nice guy named Roland. <laughs> He's often here at Patch. I've seen him over at Kelly and Panzer too. There's a super nice, always smiling lady over at Kelly. Her name is Winnie. Do you know Winnie? There's a British gentleman always at Panzer in the morning. He greets with an enthusiastic salute. You know him? Good morning, Major. Such a super nice guy, but I don't know his name. Someone go learn it. <laughs> Why does it matter? I think a Christian reputation matters. But we have the opportunity to carry the image of a, of a, of a believer wherever we go. So here it is, and again from the scriptures. I'll read it to you again. Paul writes, For this reason, 
I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. May that be our reputation as well. One last thing I'd like you to see in the scriptures, it's the word revelation. Paul begins his prayer in this way, he says in verse 17. My prayers, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Paul simply reminds us that revelation is a gift from God. God is the one who opens the eyes of our heart. You know that song, right? You remember it. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. That's where this text comes from. It's a beautiful song and a beautiful metaphor for this doctrine of regeneration, which reminds us that God does the awakening in our lives. And it's God who removes the veil that we don't see. And the Apostle Paul personally experiences revelation. You remember a couple weeks ago when we read about his conversion in Acts chapter 9? Well, we didn't finish the rest of the story. Let me remind you of what Paul experienced in his revelation. He says, in Acts chapter 9, it was Ananias, a man named Ananias, who came to Paul after his conversion, laid hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Paul's eyes. He regained his sight. He rose, was baptized, took food, and was strengthened. In my lifetime, I've never seen scales fall from someone's eyes. But I have seen the softening of eyes. You can tell a lot by someone's eyes. Hardened eyes, reflection of a thing of a hardened heart, but soft eyes. The movement from hard eyes to soft eyes. See if you can notice it. It's such a beautiful thing to see. The only antidote I'm aware of and have seen for hardened eyes and a hardened heart is the kindness of God. It's the Holy Spirit who cuts the heart. In Romans chapter 2, he reads, it's the circumcision of the human heart that only the Holy Spirit can do, but it's the kindness of God that leads to reputation, which I think, don't you think, is so connected to the reputation of a church. When believers see the kindness and the love you have for all the saints, they experience Jesus Christ lived out among his people. This man, you recognize him, I'm sure. C.S. Lewis, old professor the years ago of English literature at the Oxford University. I know you might have heard of the screw tape letters, Mere Christianity, Chronicles of Narnia. Really good books. Probably one of the brightest and most insightful thinkers, communicators, philosophers, Writers, but for much of his life, a rationalist. C.S. Lewis, um, he said that he had a bland, a bland Christian childhood. Bland. 
What I mean by that is probably the church he was a part of was not known for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their love for all the saints. He did not experience that. Such a pity he didn't. So, C.S. Lewis, in his own words, said he threw himself, his heart, and his soul into rationalism. An idealist atheism is what he called himself for much of his life. But he was helped by conversations. Conversations with friends. The kindness, friendliness of Christians that would take him out to a pub and have a beer with him and engage him with talks about life. One of those friends, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien, the Lord of the Rings guy, said once to C.S. Lewis, words that Lewis wrote down himself. J.R. Tolkien was on a walk with, um, with, with Lewis and he said, you know, the story of Christ is a myth, like all the other myths, but it has one tremendous difference. It really happened. The eyes of C.S. Lewis, um, his heart, the eyes of his heart were not enlightened in a time when you might think he might expect it. He was not in a church. He wasn't on a mountaintop. But he was in the sidecar of his brother's motorcycle on the way to the zoo. Lewis said, quote, when we sent out on the bike, I did not believe that Jesus is the son of God. But when we reached the zoo, I did. (laughs) Happens at a time that only God can do. God is the, uh, the one who circumcises your heart. So, revelation from God. That's God's work. But I think goes hand in hand with reputation. Let's read the text one more time as we close. Ephesians chapter 1, let it sink into your mind deep. Paul writes, and he prays for you for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. I've heard of your love towards all the saints. He says, I, don't give, I, see, I, I do not cease to give thanks for you. I remember you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation the knowledge of him, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know the hope of his calling. God, I pray for my friends here today that they too might have the eyes of their heart enlightened. Wherever you see fit, that is your good will. But in the meantime, give me, give my friends, give everyone here a zeal for showing the real love of the Lord Jesus Christ that our church is not coming across as bland and boring. May our love be sincere, may it be real, may it be intentional, may it be filled with action, not just in word, but in deed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand. Let's sing. Very fitting hymn for the end of this service. How deep the Father's love for us. Please rise with us.